0: This
1: is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, and this is your campaign catch-up. It's Wednesday, the 13th of April. Today, Guardian Australia's political editor, Catherine Murphy, joins me to discuss how reporters are covering this campaign. But first, here's what happened today. Labor leader Anthony Albanese was in the safe green seat of Melbourne, attending a strengthening Medicare rally of healthcare workers. He promised that a Labor government would spend $135 million on 50 new emergency clinics. Shadow Health Minister Mark Butler said these clinics would provide urgent care that sits between that of a GP and a hospital, taking the pressure off hospital emergency departments.
0: People shouldn't have to go to a hospital if they've busted their arm falling off a skateboard or have a deep cut that needs stitches. But there are about four million presentations every single year to emergency departments, which doctors and nurses say could be quite adequately dealt with outside of a hospital setting.
1: Labor was also taken to task for changing its mind on a promise it took to the last election under former leader Bill Shorten. Anthony Albanese confirmed that the opposition is no longer promising to review the job seeker payment if it's elected this time around. Well,
0: we we haven't dumped anything. Uh, What we've said is uh, we don't have a plan uh, to increase uh, the uh, job seeker allowance in in our first budget. Uh, But what you would do, every time governments do a budget, they should look at what is responsible and and, uh, do what they can to help those in need.
1: The Greens leader, Adam Bant, spoke at the National Press Club in Canberra about the party's commitment to a tax on billionaires. He said this tax would raise about $80 billion to fund Medicare payments for dental services, among other policies. And he had this to say when a reporter asked him if he knew what the wage price index was. particularly well, what's the current WPI? Well, <laughs> Google it, mate. I mean. Bant tried to disrupt the cycle of questions reporters have repeatedly asked to test MPs on their general knowledge since Anthony Albanese's gaffe on the unemployment rate. Do you know what would be a better way of showing that politicians are in touch with the need of everyday people? It would be passing laws that lift the minimum wage. It would be making dental and mental into Medicare. It would be making sure that we wipe student debt and build affordable houses. I would hope that at this election, we can lift the standard and turn it into a genuine contest of ideas. One Nation's leader Pauline Hanson said the party is contesting every seat in the lower house for the first time this election, 25 years after the minor party was first formed. Hanson said the party stood against vaccine mandates and for family law reform. And she also announced the Queensland MP George Christensen is back sort of. The LNP member for Dawson was all set to retire from politics, having grown disillusioned with the coalition's net zero target and other policies. He will now take the third and probably unwinnable spot on One Nation's Senate ticket. And Prime Minister Scott Morrison was in Geelong in Western Victoria, discussing $250 million in grants it's already providing to oil refineries to fund upgrades to their facilities in Brisbane and Victoria. Hey Murph. Hello, Jack. Back again. Yes. Hello. <laughs> Here we are. Back again. <laughs> We've, you know, you've taught me a lot about elections already, Murph. It's only been a few episodes. In the first couple of our chats, Murph, you we talked about the election as a message war. Yep. Uh, whoever gets the mess you've told me that whoever gets the message through to the voters most of the time is going to win. And we all know that the people delivering that message are political journalists like yourself. And many of them are following the major party leaders on the campaign trail right now. Yep. So Can you explain some of the mechanics of how this actually happens? How are reporters covering the national campaign every day? Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think it's important, Jane, because this will be a total mystery to a lot of people listening, I think. So let's just go through what happens. Uh, Basically, there's three campaigns. There's the Liberals, the Labor and the Nationals campaign, which is fondly called the Wombat Trail in my line of business. (laughs) Uh, So it's just the, the, call them parties of government, campaign trails. What happens is the parties are uh, basically put on a plane, put on buses and handle logistics for the travelling media. Now, they don't pay for journalists to be there. Media companies pay for journalists to deploy and cover these campaigns. But because if listeners are looking at the campaign closely, they'll see a leader can go to three cities in a day, mm. particularly when things accelerate mm. towards Election Day. So the reason we do it this way is for logistical reasons predominantly. It allows people to be in place for these events. Now, why do we do it? Well, if I was a TV journo, I'd say we do it for the pictures. Without pictures, there is no news on television. Uh, in terms of why do the rest of us do it? Well, it's very important because the leaders do a daily press conference and sometimes two as the campaign accelerates. It's very important that leaders are followed by journalists who are there to ask them questions. The alternative is they get no questions and they conduct a campaign on Facebook Live with no disruption or interruption. Now, we at The Guardian, just to be clear to our listeners, uh, we don't deploy on the bus for the duration of the campaign. We prefer to invest resources into doing uh, individual seat based work. We go out to marginal seats and we talk to voters and we have that bottom-up approach, I think, to trying to cover the campaign. But we do deploy when we think it's important and necessary, and we will deploy at various points during this campaign when we think it's important and necessary. And while people watching campaign coverage are going to have all kinds of views about whether journalists are doing their job or not doing their job or they're, they're dumb or they ask silly questions or what, that's all good. That's fine that should happen because we are as accountable as the politicians are for what we're doing.
1: Because as you say, Jane, we are the conveyors of these messages, right? Mm. So last night, Prime Minister Scott Morrison held a private event out of the media's eyes and it was revealed that some political reporters were actually at the event drinking and socialising with the Prime Minister and his staff. Yep. And I know that sparked quite a bit of criticism Mm -hmm. online. What do you make of all this? Well, look, these
0: events do happen on trips and campaigns. I think the thing to tell people is they don't happen very often. It's not like you're down the bar uh, boozing with the campaigns every night. It, it doesn't happen that way. This would probably happen maybe twice mm. over the duration of the campaign. Now, I understand why people would be perturbed by this, but I guess I would express it in these terms. If individual journalists can, if their coverage can be bought for a beer, then we're in serious trouble. And by that, I suppose what I'm saying to people is I don't think most people can be bought for a beer. I just don't think. That's the real world. Now, I've been to these occasions, as I've said, when I've covered campaigns, when I've been on overseas trips with the Prime Minister. The reason I go to them is because often you can grab a quiet word either with the principal, with with the Prime Minister or another leader, or with senior staff who are often there and they're so flat out during the day you can't actually get to them. Mm. So they're useful in that sense. It can inform your reporting if, uh, you know, you manage to get in in the ear of the right person. But I think we should think about it this way, or this is how I think about it anyway. I don't think the issue is whether or not you've got a drink in your hand. The issue is whether or not you're captured. That's the point. And people sort of put the two things together. Oh, if journalists are off boozing with the Prime Minister, it's all too cosy, it's all too close, everybody's captured. I completely understand those mm-hmm. perceptions and I think we as journalists need to be acutely conscious of those perceptions, mm-hmm. that that everything is absolutely on the level and people know which side of the line they stand on
1: and who they work for. Mm. When you say captured, Murph, I suppose you mean losing your objectivity as a journalist exactly where you where you think
0: somehow you're part of the apparatus hmm. where you think it, somehow you're in a West Wing episode <laughs> and you and you're part of the apparatus right. you you are you are never part of the apparatus hmm. It doesn't matter whether you've got a drink in your hand or whether you're standing in the courtyard down here at Parliament House or whether you, you know you you're following a leader around the world you are never part of the apparatus if you think you are and you start to behave as though you are mm. then you've got a real problem if you are an independent truth seeker in that environment and you have a very very clear sense of where the lines are mm. then i think you can attend a drinks function and you can work that function for the benefit of your readers and your viewers uh, but you know if you if that's not your objective well mm. then you shouldn't be there and in the sense of participation i think
1: where possible we need to disclose these events when they happen mm. I mean, the media plays a significant role in this election, and voters, as you say, rightly want to hold them to account, hold them up to scrutiny, just as they do our, just as we do our political leaders who are vying for our vote at the moment. So, what do you say will be the real test for journalists covering this campaign? Well, it's it's, it's always a bit risky, Jane, to set yourself as <laughs> the, the chief <laughs> arbiter,
0: the standard setter of journalistic practice. But with that with that acknowledged, look, I, I, I guess I'd explain it this way. Look, I think that readers and viewers get uncomfortable if they see election coverage playing an amplification role Mm. rather than an accountability role. If they turn on the telly and they see coverage is just amplifying the messages of the campaigns, then rightly viewers and readers think the coverage is deficient. Um, I think all view, uh, viewers and readers also get uncomfortable when they see sideshow questioning mm. at press conferences or gotcha questioning rather than a focus on issues. They get frustrated then, I think, about a whole political media ecosystem that feels really removed from reality, mm. right? That's the perception issue but i suppose getting back to the nub of your question jane which is what's the test right of us doing our jobs over over the next several weeks i think if we tell the truth if we report what we see if we're transparent about our methods then that's a very very strong foundation for election coverage that will be that will benefit readers and viewers that will be in the public interest that will shine Light rather than heat, Mm. and that's what we should strive for. I think professionally.
1: Thanks so much, Murph, for your time today. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. That's your campaign catch-up for today. I'll be back tomorrow at 4pm. And if you like our show, you should check out Catherine Murphy's weekly podcast, Australian Politics. Just search for Australian Politics wherever you're listening to this podcast. This episode was produced by Rob Caldor and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. See you tomorrow.